Hi guys, I'm your host, Roy Mate Borale, and welcome to the Idea Bordello with me, your host, Roy Mate Borale. Um, today's episode is with Mr. Raul Jane. Um, Raul can only really be described as one of the realest out there. Um, Raul is the CEO and co-founder of Peach Payments, which is one of the largest payments aggregators slash processors within South Africa and soon to be Africa. Raul is an incredibly insightful person with an incredible temperament, you know, and of all the companies I've started in my short life, Raul has been in some way or another been involved in them. And every single time I've tried to reach out to him for advice, it's always been sage, cogent, and like comically um, intuitive. So, um, if anyone out there listening to this is in the startup space and never comes across Mr. Raul Jane, I highly recommend you ping him for advice and insights because his thinking is not only clear and cogent, but it's also, you know, well thought out and well meaning, which means he's not going to give you bad advice just for the sake of giving you bad advice. That being said, without any further um, psychophantic <laughs> uh, ramblings on my side, uh, here's my conversation with Mr. Raul Jane. Raul Jane, how are you? Good, Roy. How are you? Amazing, amazing, man. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to sit down with you and have this discussion seven years later. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> Twenty thirteen is when we actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was at. Yeah, because I was actually at uh, Dream Mobile at the time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there oh, we go. Wow. Another one of the startups <laughs> graveyard <laughs> victims. <laughs> So um, why don't we start off by discussing your background, you know what I mean? Tell us about New Delhi and saying Columbus High. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I, uh, you know, I grew up in India, um, mm-hmm. went to school in India, um, started, did an engineering undergrad, and then worked for an American company called National Instruments. Mm-hmm. Um, they, we were into software-defined instrumentation. So I worked for the India office. When I joined them, we were like 40 people. When I left, we were 80 people. So okay. Saw you know big push for growth, mm-hmm. um, and then from there I went on to do an MBA um, at ESA, ESE Business School in Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so between the first and the second year of the MBA, you do a summer internship. Yeah, this was in two thousand nine. So two thousand nine February is when uh, Lehman Brothers collapsed. Yes, the whole financial markets blew up, uh-huh. and so basically there were no s- internships. You know, traditional internships were. MBAs are consulting or investment banking. Correct, yeah. And like those completely evaporated yeah. in that for our summer. So, okay, so, so you're very like, fortunate. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, what do I do now? And you know, there was a guy who is in South Africa who also went to the same business school mm. and came and said, hey, I'm looking for three interns. I'm running a boutique VC fund in Pretoria. Mm. And I'm looking, I need three people to come and help me over the summer. So me and two other of my classmates, we kind of applied and we got in and we 
flew to Pretoria and spent three months. Since 2009. In 2009. It's a very different time. <laughs> <laughs> so the highlight was that the lions were in South Africa. Yes, 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 yes. And so if you, and you know, that time you could go out and party at Hatfield Square. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. So running into the lions team at, oh, wow. at okay. Hatfield Square after the game. It was yeah. a great time. We had a great time in South Africa. Yeah. And I think that was the first time I came here, met a few people, including Andreas, who's one of my co-founders. Hmm. Um, so from South Africa, I went on to, uh, to Boston, where mm -hmm. I finished. Uh, I did a semester at MIT at Sloan, mm -hmm. part of the MBA exchange. Okay. I ended up working in Boston after graduating. So lived there for a couple of years. And then Andreas called me one day and said, hey, do you want to do payments in Africa? <laughs> and I said, let's do it. So, no explanation. Payments Africa now. Let's do it. You're exactly. like, why not? <laughs> this was I remember this. This was November 2011, and then in December I usually go back to India, spend time with my family. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, should I do this? And they were like, yeah, do what you want to. Uh, mm. I said, okay, let's do this. Nice. So Jan 2012, we decided yeah. and uh, we started Peach. Uh, okay. So I, I had, I was on a project, so I couldn't quit immediately, but then like finally. 16th of May, I remember this. 16th of wow. May, 2012, I landed yeah. with four bags huh. in Cape Town. I had never been to Cape Town, hadn't seen Andreas in three years. Hectic. And we show up and we start teach. <laughs> it's quite a cowboy story. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, okay, exciting. Yeah, and like I think what's really cool about your story is when I met you, I think we were both of the view or part of that group of evangelists that believed that there was a future for tech in Africa. 100%. And no one else was believing us. <laughs> I mean, I still say this, you know, we were a fintech before fintech was a word. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mm. I mean, I don't know how we would reach to this point yeah. with what we've done, but it's, it's, you know, we were too early for our time, but we were also in the right time at the right place. True, know? true, true. Um, so it's been a really interesting experience. Mm -hmm. I think it's the last two years were kind of a anomaly for mm -hmm. the tech scene in Africa. I think it's normalized a little bit now. Correct. Especially our funding uh, exactly. environment. Exactly. Things have become a bit more regularized. So I yeah. think it's, it's going to be a better, more sustainable future. Correct, correct. I yeah. We're lucky we got this correction early enough in the development of the ecosystem. Correct, yeah. Because you don't want to do it too late and then you yeah. destroy like huge temples, you know, yeah. in the process. Okay, no, exciting. And then you guys start 2012, 2013, you get into Mbono. Yeah. Which... No, so 20, Mbono was 2012. Okay, 88 was, miles per hour was 20. Was 2013. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. we did every accelerator that was available. <laughs> You've given an expert application. Yeah, at some time, at some point, we had to say no. I like guys, we're, we're beyond accelerators. So yeah. we cannot join any more accelerators. Okay. Um, no, so we did um, Umbono, and then we, did, which was Google, which was a great experience. Um, mm. Then we did eighty-eight MPH. I think that was more that eighty-eight wanted to invest in Peach, and mm. then, you know, part of the deal was you, you have know, to join the accelerator. You have to do the accelerator. Yeah. So we did that. I think it was all great experiences. I think we've learned a lot throughout the journey. Um, hindsight is twenty twenty. We could have, you really? know, we could have done a lot of diff things differently. We could mm. have scaled a lot faster. There's a lot of ifs and buts. But I think we, we, we took the decisions we took, uh, and they were the right decisions for us at that point in time. And yeah. I think, yeah. 
that's where we are today. Yeah, I mean, because you can't really beat yourself up because you made the best decision that you could with the information that you had at the time. No, right? Absolutely. And like, it's, it's very, especially as someone who's been in tech, like I remember like 2020, 2021, studying some of the like FinTech valuations coming out of Africa and being, sitting there and thinking to myself, how is that even possible? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when we started like, I was reading an article that you were with you in it and you were like, no one could even raise a million rand. I mean, a million dollars in yeah. those days. A million? I mean, it was impossible to raise no. $100,000. Yeah, yeah, like back that was an achievement. Back in 2012, 2013. Yeah. And yeah. now you can raise, I can raise a hundred million dollars. Know, you know what I mean? Problems. Yeah. Right? But like, so I think, I think it did two really good things for Peach. One, it made us lean and sustainable mm. and, you know, uh, a bit more focused from day one. Mm. And that's kind of become ingrained in the, in a way, the fabric of the business. Like, mm. that's how we all think. We Sustainability. think twice before yeah. hiring someone. We think twice before spending, uh, you know, extravagantly. Yeah. Or even on on every dollar. So we, we kind of take more deliberate decisions as a business. So I think yeah. that's something we've gone from, we're over 120 people now in the company, three different countries, starting to scale that. I think we appreciate that a lot more now. Correct. Than we did when we were 20 people. Yeah. Because that prudence comes naturally when you're a small group of people, but how do you get that prudence to scale mm -hmm. when you're 120 people? Yeah. And I think so we are fortunate with that and we are uh, grateful for that experience that we had in the first five years mm. of the business. True. Right. And I think the second thing is because we were early, we had time to make mistakes. Yeah. And those mistakes weren't as costly for us. Correct. It's because the competition didn't exist. Now we've learned a lot and we facing a lot more competition, but we can execute more soundly. And, and like your entire user experience for a customer is just a lot better than a lot of your competitors. Yeah. Because there's a lot of, uh, I say this as the user of your software, there's a lot of small aspects, small things that you guys do really, really well. And that makes a huge difference yeah. for like a user. And that makes a huge difference from a long-term uh, retainability standpoint, you know. Yeah. There are a lot of other, you know, very exciting sounding startups in the fintech yeah. spaces of Africa and Africa yeah. that you compete against. Yeah. And I've used a lot of them. And I can say with great confidence, the big difference between you guys and a lot of them is that you guys have thought this through, if that makes any sense. Whereas yeah. a lot of other people are like, we'll set you up, we're gonna scale quickly and so on and so forth. And you're like, cool, where's the API docs? And they're like, oh, sorry, um, hold on, let me get those to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, we also don't get everything right. I mean, you know, we're also a work in progress. So mm. there's a lot of things we can improve. I yeah. think one thing we have on our side is we've always said that customer service is actually quite under, underrated in Africa. Dramatically. It's also like, like so neglected. Exactly. And people, you know, what we found very back in the early days when we used to speak to large businesses and, you know, I remember this very vividly that I'm in, a, I'm in the boardroom of a, of a very big internet company in South Africa and you know one of the questions they ask us because they're trying to decide whether they use us or one of our competitors mm. they're like oh if we send you a support ticket how what's your turnaround time and we're like yeah a couple of hours maybe definitely within 24 hours right mm. and their mind was blown they're like today we wait three to five days Hectic. before we hear back so I think yeah. for us those early lessons made a huge impact yeah and I think 
even today, the number one thing we focus on as a business and the number one thing we invest on mm-hmm. is that customer experience. And it starts from the time you t- want to discover about Peach to the time you sign up, Correct. how's your onboarding journey, how's your product integration, and then what happens afterwards once you're a customer. Because mm. uh, there was an interesting thing I read somewhere which said it's much easier to retain existing customers than to try and chase new ones. And what uh-huh. a lot of businesses do is they forget the existing customers because they're constantly chasing new business. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. I think one thing we keep repeating to ourselves is let's not forget about our existing merchants. Okay. And then that plays out into a lot of different things we do. And I'll give you another example. Last year, we revised pricing, right? Now, it's very easy to say, oh, hey, here's our new pricing. But mm-hmm. what about everyone else who signed up with us and has been a loyal customer for the last three years? Mm-hmm. Why should they continue to pay more if we've dropped the price of something. So for us, what we, and this is where that, you know, what about your existing customers? How that plays out is we go back, we, we kind of say, okay, we've created this new price plan. Who of our existing customers automatically qualifies for this? That's a revenue hit we take, but we don't want to be in a place where an existing customer says, hey man, you, you know, you guys screwed us over by creating this new price plan yeah just because i signed up six months earlier that doesn't make sense to us correct you're punishing me for being loyal and you're punishing me for being early exactly so so that's how we start to play some of these things out in how we conduct business and how we think about our merchants and yeah what are the problems we solve for them okay so you come from an entrepreneurial family and background right yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, what are Jayco watches, by the way? <laughs> Sorry, in my research, I found Jayco watches in your family, and I was like, yeah. That's so, so, you know, growing up, my father's side of the family, yeah. we manufactured watches. In okay. India. So, um, we made everything from wrist watches, table clocks, wall clocks. I like this. I like this. So, this is where the hustle was born. <laughs> exactly. So, so, you know, growing up, I, like, I've always seen the ups and downs of mm. business. And I think that part of conditioning also plays out a lot, you know? Yeah. Because the ups are easy. It's the downs that you have to deal with as yeah. an entrepreneur. Correct. And I think for me, fortunately, what worked out is having experienced that as a child or as growing up, mm. it's, it's like it didn't shock me. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And then, then that gives you resilience. Or at least it sets you up for the foundation to create more resilience. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah. And I think I was speaking to someone the other day about this and they were like, um, I was talking about how one of the great opportunities a human being can have is to, to, to struggle in some capacity in their, in their youth. Yeah. Because it helps you understand that things don't have to always go right. You yeah. know what I mean? And you almost don't want your children to be too comfortable growing up yeah. because there's nothing worse than your like 25-year-old child having a nervous breakdown because someone called him ugly. And you're like, <laughs> this is yeah. part of life. You know? And that, like now I'm a parent and that's something I have to keep thinking about. Okay. Because obviously I want the best for my child and I want to give her the best experience. Yeah. But then I have to keep reminding myself, like, if it's too easy, when, when will she learn? Correct. And also you right. don't want to have to clean up her mess later on. Right? Exactly. So it's easier so to just... Definitely it's a valid point. And I think, you know, we, we keep hearing this stat, oh, 95% of all startups fail. Hmm. I think my view on that is like 95% of startups fail, but 90% of them fail because mm. people give up too soon. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can also just not have in a real a, idea. In the right space or yeah. right, but, but you know, there's no, 
there's no brilliant idea unless you invented something and yeah. you were IP yeah exactly if you like created something from scratch and you're the inventor then you have true ip and then it's but everything else is an execution game mm, mm, mm. if you feel that you're the only person who's thought of this brilliant scheme the 7 billion people on this earth the <laughs> odds are more likely that somewhere someone has thought of that before correct right so the question is how do you execute and is that execution good enough okay. to build it into a business and i think that's the other thing we keep focusing on is execution that there's no so 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 our mentality is nothing's hidden there's no trade secret hmm. i mean we might have a few tricks but as a business we don't believe mm-hmm. in hiding or in holding back information and that's why we share a lot more with our merchants we disseminate a lot more information back is because again going back to if if we think we're the only ones who's thought of this we're fooling ourselves correct right and rather you're the easiest person to fool exactly rather let's be the best at doing that one thing mm. no 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 i can i can get behind that in a big way okay no no awesome so i mean your entrepreneurial journey in earnest begins in 2012 it's now almost 10 years later yeah. actually is 10 years later almost <laughs> what heuristics have you developed along this journey that have helped you get a lot sharper and a lot more attuned to what success needs to look like to help you get to this point and this stage i think the key learnings have been one around people right mm-hmm. and understanding i think i've become a lot better at identifying the right people that we need on the team because at peach frankly our success depends on the team that yeah. we have like we're a business that actually has no physical assets yeah we have code but who wrote that code people the people yeah exactly so so what will define peach's success is the team that we build yeah. so we're very you know and we we've, we've had our fair share of mistakes in hiring in thinking about what are we trying to do even policies within the company so yeah. so i think our our thinking has evolved quite a bit and i think one thing we focus a lot on is making sure we get the right people in the right roles and with the right culture mm-hmm. so that it's kind of an autonomous uh self propelling organization yeah yeah in a way um i think the second thing is also just believing in your own thoughts and decisions a bit more yeah because you know i think uh, one of the common things as an entrepreneur is you're constantly doubting yourself is yeah. like, am i doing the right thing is this the right decision i think over time you become a lot more confident in the decisions you take mm. as long as it's not out of arrogance right i think that's that's also an iterative heuristic process where yeah. you have to keep taking decisions and see what happens with them and then you get become more confident in taking the next decision yeah. because so then is your review process the only thing i do the whole day is take decisions yeah, exactly yeah especially at the level that you guys are playing at like jeff bezos had that i watched a, a chat he did at the like air force academy and he said an executive on a very very intense day needs to make three sound decisions in a day yeah that's it yeah so like you can't skimp on sleep you can't skimp on food you can't skimp on exercise your brain is literally needs to be performing at an optimal level at all times yeah you know and then to make those decisions you need to have time which is the most important uh, mm. commodity actually and for that what what we keep telling our leadership team is like guys you need to free up your time mm. how do you free up your time 
you push the decisions that you take the decisions that only you can take. Okay. Everything else you delegate. Exactly. And yeah. if you if if you should with every decision, question yourself, hey, am I the right person to be making this decision? Yeah. Or should someone else in the broader company be making that decision? Yeah. If it's your team member, and then the question is, why can't I trust that person to make that decision? Either yeah. I am not letting go or delegating fast enough. Or I don't trust the individual to make the decision, meaning mm. that that's not the right person. That means I didn't hire properly, mm. right? So, so we are constantly trying to create and push the decision as low as possible in the organization, okay. because that's the team that's actually working on the front line, mm. and they have the most relevant information Correct, yeah. to make that decision. So, so that's how we start to get down to those three decisions, otherwise it's 300 decisions. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what's that famous quote from Napoleon? I don't want good generals, I want lucky generals. You know what I mean? <laughs> and like, um, I was listening to a podcast with Mark Andreessen and he speaks about that with his, uh, his venture capitalist firm, um, A16Z. Yeah. And he says like, if you can make two great investments in a 10 year cycle, you are at in the 0.0001% of venture yeah. capitalists. You know what I mean? So he's like, I don't even care. Like that's why he's like, he's like, I only want lucky, like LP, lucky partners and lucky associates. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not interested in like good, because good is not good enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. The great is great has a large element of luck associated with it. Yeah. So you know, you you always need to keep that in consideration. Um, do you do you ever journal to reflect back on your decisions to see if you can uh, get better at understanding what's right and wrong in your thinking? Uh, I don't. Uh, it's something. There is a <laughs> journal sitting on my bedside that okay. I need to do something about. Yeah. Uh, but now I haven't gotten around to it. I, I highly recommend it. I I, I do all I of my journals. I have one of those oak uh, journals. Uh, oh, okay. I don't even bother with the written one. I have a, like a. I have a. I use like Rome Research. Okay. And I just bang out like twenty minutes or ten minutes of journaling every day. Sometimes it's like nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I had nachos for lunch. I'd say it's yeah. one of those things I need to get to. It just uh, yeah. yeah. I would more. highly, highly recommend it. No, it, no. it helps me enormously. It's especially. come up twice now in the last two weeks. So. Well, I think it's time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, especially with someone with like ADD and ADHD, um, it helped my life enormously and helped me get much better at decision making and much better at time allocation. Yeah. Because I always say to people. Money is great, but time is everything, yeah. right? So, you know, especially in your situation, yeah. like we can pay you more, but that's not going to help you. <laughs> you know what I mean? What we need, what you need is more time. And the best way to do that is just make better decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, when we first met, you had a beautiful head of hair that was jet black and it was stunning. And yes, now it's, it's looking very salt and pepper. Yes. Let's talk about the dark days, you know, what caused the gray and uh, how you overcame those challenges, you know, um, yeah. at Peach Payments. I think when we started Peach and especially, you know, payments in Africa hmm. and South Africa is a special place. It's the most special place in the world. Exactly. So it is had, the smartest had, Down syndrome kid in the room. Like, it's, it's exactly. the weirdest place in the world. Yeah. But we had, like, from a banking space perspective, it was an oligopolistic market. Yeah. You know, four big banks. Correct. It was an old boys club. So I remember, like, the first challenge we had was to find a bank to work with. Hmm. It took us a year to get the first bank to agree 
to work with us, right? Mm. Like these two foreigners sitting in South Africa trying to launch a payments business. Yeah. Um, so so that was a hard one because like for the whole year we just sat and twiddled our thumbs. Yeah. And said, oh. and every week we used to hear, yeah, 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 this week you'll get the contract, right? And it took us, I think September 2013, we finally got amazing the signed contract and yeah. then we started selling and from there we started growing the business i actually remember that quite clearly yeah 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 very clearly actually and, and the irony of the situation is we had we hired a team member yeah. for all of 2012 <laughs> and he, he finally gave up and quit because he had nothing to do yeah in july 2020 <laughs> 13 and like August we get the signed contract. I see, I see why you're so adamant about just sticking in there, hanging in there now. It makes a lot of sense. Okay. So, so I think that was one of the first, you know, first ex- existential, well, getting off the ground crisis yeah. that we had. I think in startup, like life, we've been through, you know, there have been weeks where we are riding high and then next week we are almost out of business. Yeah. Um, and it's been countless yeah. such uh, experiences and I think Every time there's a new challenge, it's quite a dark. I think as an fa- entrepreneur and a founder, you take it all very personally. Yes. So everything is a dark mm. uh, day and a you know, dark experience. Yeah. And then you come out of it. And then next time that happens, you don't care about it because you've been through it once. So I think if you ask me, like linking this to the earlier heuristics thing, I think it's also just developing a thicker skin and act- the experience of having dealt with that. Correct. You know, when teams grow, there's more people issues. When uh, number of customers grows, there's things that break. More people are pissed off with you because mm. something broke. And it's Correct. not like we don't make mistakes or we don't have problems. But I think how we recover from them, what do we learn from that? I think that's the only thing that keeps us going. Yeah. So there's been a lot of, frankly, ups and downs mm. um, in this business. Fundraising is a clear downer, right? Yeah, it's the, it's the it's biggest like, downer in this market. Exactly. <laughs> um, you need to do it because you want to accelerate and scale the business faster. Yeah. But I don't know of any founder that actually enjoys that process. It's okay. awful. It's so awful. And I think the worst part about it is that you don't get into this game to do that. You get into this game to build and create things. Yeah. And then you, you have to spend half your time acting like a stripper. Yeah. You know what I mean? Taking off your clothes <laughs> with pitch decks and trying to seduce investors. Yeah. And a lot of those investors are bad tippers, you know? So you just got naked for them and they're like, <laughs> next time, honey. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I can publicly use it. <laughs> Make sure we credit that to me exclusively, exclusively. Exactly. Okay, no, no, nice, nice. And then, like, tell me, what was it like being a foreign national? A, coming to South Africa. Yeah. Which is, like, such an interesting, complex, dynamic country, right? Yeah. It's, it's never as simple as anyone makes it out to be. Yeah. And, like, every time I've heard, like, I like to travel overseas and, like, tell people, oh, I'm from, like, South Africa. And they're like, oh, I know about South Africa. I'm like, oh, what do you know? And I always hear these stories. And I'm like, that is not South Africa. But it, oh, but it is at the same time, yes, you know what yeah. I mean? And, like, I had a partner who moved over to South Africa a few years ago. And, uh, you know, she was very enthusiastic about Cape Town and loved it. And then moved up to Joburg. And like after two weeks, she was like, what's going on? Like, I don't understand this. This is not what I signed up for. I spent two great years in Cape Town. Now I've come to this weird dystopic hellscape. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that's South Africa. Yeah. It's very dynamic. It's yeah. very diverse, you know. And like, I think, back to the question. The question is, you know, how did you find that experience? 
on Netflix was really good. I mean, I actually never had a problem mm-hmm. um, being a foreigner in South Africa. I mm. think because uh, also I think I'm Indian. You know, we have a lot of Indian people. Indian diaspora based out of South Africa. Yeah, tons. And by now, second, third, fourth generation. Yeah. Right. So I think the the, the assumption is that everyone assumes I'm from Durban. Correct. Instead. Correct. So I have to remind them that I'm the OG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm straight I'm, from the motherland. Exactly, I'm V1. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think overall, it, actually even in business, whether we, that was never a question. Mm. That was never questioned and that was, I mean, that's the other beauty of, and the good part about South Africa. Yeah. Because it's so diverse, no one cares. And no one's that surprised. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And mm. I think going into broader Africa, what I also recognize and appreciate, again, being Indian, there's a lot of Indians in Africa. Yeah. So you go to Kenya, you go to Uganda, you go to Mauritius. I mean, Mauritius, one third of the island is Indian. Correct. Right? Yeah. So I'm actually realizing that it's a competitive advantage. <laughs> exactly. Being Indian in Africa. Yeah. Because you are still an outsider. So the community still welcomes you very quickly. Correct. Because like, oh, another Indian, let me help him out. And yeah. It. And you're still equally assimilated and you're assumed to be part of the uh, society at Correct. Last, then no, you don't stick out like a sore thumb. So you can just get going, you know. Exactly. And that's so I think that's been a huge uh, eye-opener as I've traveled a lot more within Africa. Yeah. So I've never fa- felt out of place being in Nairobi or in Lagos or in Mauritius. I've actually been pretty okay with all of it. I'm of the view personally, and I've got some pretty radical views around the future of this country and what an African what it should should do, shouldn't shouldn't do. But like cooperative policies slash programs between like top Indian universities and top yeah. South African universities, yeah. I feel are much better fits than like American universities. Yeah. Because every time I go to India and I deal with Indian entrepreneurs as a whole, it's there's no there's no there's no. Um, there's no like, there's no cultural like leap I need to make, if yeah. that makes any sense. It's yeah. like, once you get in, everyone understands. Everyone's everyone. struggling with the same problems. Exactly. Right. And like, I always look at, I, I love I love India, the country as a whole. Yeah. Because I always go to India and I'm like, wow, this is like Africa at scale. You know what I mean? Like, that's all it is. Exactly, right? You know what I mean? Because like, like, you go to a Nigerian, like, high-ranking official, like, slash, you know, royal wedding, you go to, like, an Indian high-ranking official wedding, it's the exact same yeah. thing, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, very interestingly, I mean, you mentioned universities. Like, I had a, a friend who's one of the uh, founder at a high-growth ed-tech startup, yeah. uh, one of the larger players in the Indian space. Okay. And he called me the other day and said, you know, like, some of the biggest uh, pool of students are actually from Nigeria hmm. doing these online courses. Hectic. Yeah. yeah. So so what you're also seeing with digital commerce is that like those borders are dissolving a little yeah. bit. Look at Freshworks, Zoho. Correct. I mean, since Google's shut down workspace, the free tier, hmm. everyone's using Zoho. Zoho is a startup out of Chennai. Correct. Uh, Zomato is another one. Zomato is hmm. another one. So what I'm trying to say is there's the, the why are these startups finding better markets in Africa versus an American or a European startup naturally is because like the problems they're solving in India are very similar, similar to the problems we face here. So suddenly the product fits a lot better. Correct. correct. And that's why you'll see a lot more African startups going eastward 
uh, eventually, yeah. rather than north or westward. Yeah, I think we were all seduced by like the allure of like great Western marketing. Yeah, and no one made the, the, the logical con like calculation of saying, guys, we should be trying to align more with our you know with our Eastern counterparts than our Western counterparts because yeah. there's a lot more synergy and a lot more opportunity and a lot more uh, quote unquote affordability across both markets. Yeah. You know, and it right? depends on the product you're building, right? America is still one of the biggest markets for SaaS and for of course, uh, of course. some yeah. similar platforms. So it depends on what you're building, but like we are starting to see a lot more yeah. in cross-border. Airlift is yeah. another example. was Correct. a grocery delivery startup started out of Pakistan and the, uh, one of the first international markets they launched in was South Africa. Interesting. It's like continents away. Yeah. Right? And, now they shut it down, but uh, yeah. <laughs> for funding reasons. But like, yeah. but that's the challenge. Okay. Right? But uh, you're already seeing that movement. No, across. exciting. That's very exciting. Going back to what you're talking about with SaaS, um, for my sins in my youth, um, I started an on-demand business that you managed payments for. Yes. And at that time, I remember. I don't know if you remember it, but. Everyone and their grandmother was obsessed with Uber. I don't yeah. know if you remember it. And yeah. everyone was like, wow, Uber's the future. Uber for this, Uber for that. Have you heard of Uber? And, you know, and like, it was all Uber, 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 Uber. Yeah. And now over time, we've learned that Uber was the world's biggest like, black hole for money. Mm. Because if I'm selling you a diaper for $1, but the diaper cost me $1.10, I'm not selling you a diaper. I'm giving yeah. away free, free like, diapers, essentially. Yeah. And that's what Uber was doing for a long time. And I foolishly chased that, um, that, like, that dragon like a lot of other young men, people at the time. But in hindsight, when I look back on the last decade, the real opportunity was not in on-demand apps and consumer apps. The real opportunity was in like, software as a service because it required infinitely less money. Yeah. You could scale it much quicker. And in terms of like, customer lifetime value and like, just the cash flow, um, for uh, for like a SaaS business versus an on-demand business, it's infinitely better to be a SaaS business, right? Potentially. Well, well, I mean, like if you consider how much money it takes to 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 launch something like an Uber Eats versus how much money it takes to launch something like a SaaS like a um, customer service SaaS solution, right? Yeah. The other is just two guys in a room ha like coding. Well, the latter is like requires huge amounts of coordination, logistics, and coding as well. But see, every business is hard, and every business has competition. <laughs> Right? I don't dispute that. I don't dispute that but, at all. But so, so what Uber did for, for all the money that they spent is if you're changing fundamental habits and you're trying to shift consumer behavior, that requires a lot of awareness, education. So part of the promos and the marketing is also enticing you or getting you to try something new that's out of your comfort zone. So mm. it was like e-commerce. You know, I remember back in 20. 11 I did we did uh, work for a consulting firm and one of our re customers was a 400 store uh, retail chain in the yeah. US and we at that time when we did research like we decided we figured that the biggest driver for e-commerce was free shipping and free returns mm. and the reason was people don't like paying for shipping and people don't and if you do free returns you again trying to change that behavior because the challenge was with clothes with shoes and zappos did this really well yeah uh, it's like oh i don't know if it'll fit so you know what i'm not going to order online i'm actually going to go to store correct so you go back to the fun the root cause and the the root cause is that 
the reason why you don't want to order online is that you don't know what to do with the product if it doesn't fit. Yeah. So people, so businesses introduced free shipping and free returns. That costs those businesses a lot of money. That's where a lot of the VC funding went. I but agree. Today, people order everything from toothpaste to soap. To, yeah. You know, Gucci bags online. Yeah. So I think there is a, it's a different problem to solve. SaaS, in to a certain extent, is easy. But to a certain extent, you're also competing against... Some of the best engineers in the world. Or it's a very easy thing to replicate. So, yeah. So, so you know, human, uh, human, it's not that I... AWS and yeah. Azure and Google Cloud have done... Correct. ...have taken away... The barriers to entry. Exactly. Yeah. So earlier to launch a SaaS platform, you had to think of a private cloud. You had to Correct. think of data centers and how do you scale hardware and all of that. Now you just flick a switch and it's your life. True. So, so what I mean by that is like, okay, Uber, like uh, logistics for trap moving bodies yeah. is a very different business to the Uber business for like moving food, right? Yeah. Uber for moving food, you can give me as many vouchers as you want. And that makes a lot of economic sense because those vouchers will will result in me becoming a consistent user. And the underlying fundamentals of the Uber Eats business are good, yeah. right? So like Uber Eats doesn't lose money on a delivery unless there's like a promo. But if there's not promo, it's, there's, a, there's a cash positive transaction. Yeah. Uber travel was always cash negative. Do you yeah. see what I'm saying? So what, I'm, what I was trying to, what, what, what I was trying to get to intimate really was that at that time, so many of us got really super excited yeah. about Uber. Yeah. Completely discounted the fundamentals, yeah. right? And completely discounted that this wasn't actually a sound business and then ran down this rabbit hole as opposed to looking at a SaaS business at the time and saying, this is not sexy, this is not exciting, yeah. but this actually makes money. And like, you know, we've seen in like, in the like gigantic tech boom of 2021, like a lot of the big SaaS companies their valuations went crazy, but the underlying fundamentals weren't fucked up, yeah. right? You know what yeah. I'm saying? It's not like Tesla where someone was trading at like a 3,000 or 2,000 multiple or something yeah. like that. It's just like, there's a SaaS business that's overvalued. That's all it is. Yeah. But the underlying business itself is still, like it's still profitable and still lucrative, yeah. right? So, <laughs> this is, I was trying to get somewhere with the question. You were one of the few people who essentially saw what FinTech was to like, to the future of Africa and to the future of the world, right? Yeah. As you said, you, there was no fintech before you, yeah. you, when you guys started, right? You were, you were a payment processor before fintech became the sexiest word in town. Yeah. So by the time you guys got to the market and arrived and fintech arrived, you were already ready. Yeah. But if I go back to 2012, there was no one clamoring to start a payment processor, right? If yeah. I go to 2015, even then, very few people were interested in like anything to do with fintech. You know, it was just like pretty much got up on the Yoko guys and that was it, yeah. right? Today, everyone's granny and their father wants to be in fintech, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's like, how do you develop those heuristics to say, like, it's like, it's like Web3, right? Yeah. Everyone now is like, you've got to be in Web3, Web3, Web3. Personally, I think Web3 is a complete fucking scam. I think, it's all, I think about 99.999% of it's bullshit, right? And like the real opportunities in biotechnology. But it's another day for another podcast. Yeah. So you essentially... You saw the sauce yeah. for the trees, <laughs> you, know? you know, the trees from the forest. You saw the sauce of your era, which was the fintech, right? Yeah. And you didn't chase all the other nonsense that everyone else was chasing. Yeah. And so like a young entrepreneur today, 
where everyone's screaming, you know, Web3, Web3, Web3. The, the, the Web3 isn't the thing because everyone's screaming. The thing is, and Web3 is the Uber of today. Yeah. Sounds good, sounds sexy, but it's actually not going to, it's not the thing that you should be doing. So, I mean, how do you develop those heuristics to look at the market and go, everyone says I must do this, but it's actually not the right thing. The right thing is something far simpler, but not easier. Because yeah. SaaS is simpler, but it's not easier. Yeah. I remember, and there's a huge difference between the two words. Yeah. You know? So, like, yeah, I suppose there's a well, question there somewhere. I think, you know, as long, at the end of the day, you have to solve a problem yeah. for someone. And the mm. problem needs to be meaningful enough. Otherwise, like you said, the unit economics will never play out, mm. right? So I think the problem we were trying to solve back in the day was one for ourselves and for just the ecosystem. Because what you could see, mm. and we had good parallels to look yeah. at. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, Stripe and Braintree were doing really well in saturated markets or well-developed markets like the US and Europe. Yeah. Um, you had, but I Stripe mean, wasn't the Stripe of today, right? Because back it then... Was still, uh, it had, you know, by 2012, I think they had started to gain uh, visibility and a lot of traction in the US. Yeah. Right? And I think that gave you a view that if software and if tech needs to evolve and the way it is evolving, what's the infrastructure layer? Right? Yeah. Like how are people going to transact online? And I think for us, looking back at Africa back then was like, oh, this is a white space. Like no hmm. one's really doing it. So, and we know because we've seen it in the US and we've seen it in Europe. So we, we know for sure that this is kind of a core layer. Yeah. So I think, and the problem we were solving was for businesses like yours. I remember chatting with you back then and saying, hey, I want to do on demand. Hmm. But like, how do I build an Uber-like payments experience? And hmm. at that point, we were the only provider in all of South Africa yeah. that could deliver that experience. Right? And that was the problem we solved, was to enable you to launch an on-demand delivery business. Correct. Right? It, the, the challenge for you was that there weren't enough retailers online. Yeah. <laughs> deliver stuff. Correct, correct. Right? Yeah, so yeah. I think so I think and look at now, I mean from um, you know from macro ma macro mass mart, yeah, macro mass mart yeah, acquiring yeah. you guys to uh, one cart and quench and all this is tons, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But all the early movers are the ones that actually made it mm. and are, have been acquired. Yeah. You know, one cart was acquired now by I think it was also Massimo. Also Massimo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, Quench got acquired by TFG. Yeah. And like Checkers has built out, you know, 60. So yeah. I think there's a lot happening. So, um, and the problem they solved was convenience and access for the consumer. Because mm. now suddenly in lockdowns, how do people shop? Correct. So I think uh, as long as us, from a founder's perspective, as long as you're solving a real problem, then you'll have a business. Mm. If, if you... If you're trying to convince someone that they have a problem, that they don't think is a problem, then that's the uphill task. Okay. Right? No, no, definitely, definitely. And I think, like for me, my first Uber experience, I very clearly remember this. I was in Chicago. Uh, mm. This is 2013, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, my sister was uh, graduating from business school over there. Mm. And like we were out for dinner and she called this Uber and I'm like, I look at this map and I can track where the car is, you know, mm. that's going to come pick us up. And that blew my mind. And since then, like I've been using Uber everywhere in the world. Yeah. So I think like that aha experience, that 
problem that you solve that, hey, I don't need to stand on the side of the road and try for 15, 20 minutes to get a cab. I can just call something, track it, and meet it at the curb when I, you know, it solved a big problem yeah. for users. So as long as you're solving a problem, you will have a business in the long run. And for Peach, the way we think about it is, okay, we've solved this one, what's the next problem to solve? Okay. And that's how you continue to build a business over a decade or two decades or beyond. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I mean, I suppose that makes a bit more, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I feel like a lot of businesses that came out of that era and currently now with like Web3 just are, have, are seeking, looking for a solution as opposed to, yeah, looking I for a problem to solve as opposed to solving a problem. Exactly. And I think the challenge is that maybe they're a bit early for their time or certain consumers or certain parts of the population doesn't see the problem. Yeah. Or doesn't have that problem. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I think uh, I'm probably one of those where I'm still trying to figure out mm -hmm. what is the problem that you're solving. Because <laughs> uh, maybe I don't, I, I'm not of that generation, maybe mm. quite, like you said, it's, you know, grayed quite a bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but I think, you know, there will be a problem to solve at some point. And mm. then I think these are the guys then who will be the best equipped. Because they would have fumbled their way through whoever survives yeah. this churn. Correct, correct. And okay. I think that's the view investors are also taking. Mm. Like right now, they're just going to wait and watch. Correct. And then let and them then fight to the death. Whoever comes out on the other side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like that scene in, have you seen The Dark Knight? With, oh, uh, the Hunger King. Games, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For business and startups, yeah. Exactly. No, I mean, like, it's interesting. Uh, like, and I, I like the heuristic of you're either solving a problem or you're fulfilling a need, one of the two. Yeah. And if it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like um, in, um, in English literature in varsity, one lecturer said to us, all literature is only one of two genres. It's either comedy or tragedy. Mm. And I was like, bullshit, there's multiple genres. And then like, I turned like 4,000 years old and I was like, oh, that's true. Every single story can be like, you know, at its essence is either one of two things, either tragic or it's comedic. Yeah. Um, it can be tragic and comedic, or, you know, and so on yeah. and so forth. But that's the, that's the key. And then with business, you're either solving a need or you're solving a problem. Yeah. But you, if you're not doing one of those two things, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it's not possible to actually build a business in that regard. Yeah. And I think that's why like, people who start businesses have either been at companies where they saw that problem or experienced it for themselves mm. and mm. then said, oh, I need to solve for this. Correct. And that's yeah. where some of the most successful businesses are coming from. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, there's always like the weird Amazon example where someone can just be like, you know, a billionaire genius who just sees the internet still flying and just sees that the need is going to be that there's a commercial layer to this and we're going to solve that problem. Yeah. You know. Well, I think even Amazon, like, iteratively, they kept solving one problem after the other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. So where they are today is, is 20 years of solving problems. Correct, an iteration and, exactly. you know, so working Exactly. So AWS through, um, was them solving their own problem. Mm. And not only that, I remember listening to an interview with Jeff Bezos where he said something that was really interesting and very rare to hear a founder say out loud. He said, AWS didn't have any competition for the first five years of its existence. Yeah. And he was like, every year they would start the year and they would like plan like the year for AWS. And they'd be like, we need to watch out for competitors. <laughs> like year one, there's nothing. Year two, there's nothing. Year three, there's year four, year five. By the time they actually got competition from like the, you know, Azure's and the Google Clouds and so on and so forth, they were still very much still like skeptical. Yeah. So by the time like, you know, AWS comes and kicks the door down, you know, and it's obvious that they're the dominant party and 
Google starts suing them for getting government contracts. It's so late yeah. that like anyone who's coming to the table is just far too, you know. But but that that's also an interesting point because the market is so big mm-hmm. that there's room for three, four yeah, there's tons. players. Exactly. Correct. So yeah. even if you're not first mover, but if it's yeah. a large enough market, you might still be successful. Correct. And that's yeah. the other thing is like because otherwise like people think, ah, these guys are too big. What will I do? No, no, you know? no, 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 and no. No, it depends on the market you're serving. Correct. Yeah. If it's a very niche market, yeah, then you better not to go into that industry. But, but some of those industries. Like payments is a great example, right? Yeah. In Africa, payments is a massive opportunity. It's a multi-trillion-dollar opportunity. Whereas yeah. there can be a flutter wave and a pay stack and a peach and, and a, a wave. Too. Yeah. And yeah, wave we don't directly compete with, but mm. like in the payment space, like, and four or five large players can easily coexist mm. on the continent, right? So I think that's the view we are taking. That's why actually what you see within African payments is there's a lot more collaboration yeah. than competition actually happening because everyone's trying to change user behavior or consumer behavior or merchant behavior. Yeah. It makes sense to work together okay. on that. Cool. You're a bit older than me. You're a founder um, and you know, you're an operator. And I deep, have deep respect for operators because as someone who's played in that space and plays in it today, it's incredibly challenging. Hmm. The world is in a very interesting space because it seems like everything's on fire at the moment. Like, there, there's no, like, like South Africa's, of course, got <laughs> the four, horse, like, the four horses, horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, like, yeah. load shedding, <laughs> price of petrol. You know, everything is, like, going sideways everywhere. Yeah. And I was speaking to someone the other day, and they were like, well, things aren't actually going sideways. We're just going through a transition phase now, yeah. right? So it's like, it's like puberty, right? Yeah. You're an 11-year-old boy, the world is fine. And then you wake up and you're 12 and there's pimples and like you've got hair and your voice is changing and yeah. you've got muscles and everything's going crazy. But like once it settles, you're a man. Yeah. And then once you're a man, you're like, oh, this, this, this terrible period I went through is so convenient because yeah. now I can like pick things up and eat things. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like from your perspective as an as a operator in this market and in this space, where do you think we are in this cycle and what do you think is to come next for like not just Africa but the world as a whole? Like because I think COVID definitely kicked off the 21st century in many different yeah. ways but th- that, that wasn't the beginning. Like we're still in the beginning, yeah. right? So like what, what, what does that like what does the semblance of like sanity look like in this new world? And, and what, what should we expect in your perspective from where you sit? Yeah, I think, you know, the impact of this chaos or correction or turmoil is being felt differently by different yeah. industries, you know. And I think uh, there are certain industries that are fundamentally affected. You know, I was just reading today that electric vehicles have now or are about to hit 5% of all new car sales mm. in the US. And from a technology adoption curve perspective, that's the tipping point. Correct. Right? And that's when you start to see the exponential growth mm. in electric. So, so you know, what does that mean for oil and big oil? And yeah. I think um, what we are seeing now, so from a peach perspective, not much has really changed. Yeah the one impact we are looking at and we are monitoring is what happens to consumer income because that directly translates into Incorrect. volumes that we would process because yeah. the lower dis- 
disposable income people have, the less they spend online, etc. But people are still growing old, people are still being born, people are still you know, going about their daily lives. That means this commerce is still happening. Now the question is how much of it can we shift to digital and you know, where else can we play? So, so I think there are fundamental truths of existence that will continue. Yeah. Um, I think of course, of course, yeah. And I think the correction is good because it kind of resets and rebalances the world a little bit and then you keep going. So I think here's where resilience plays out. And like I said, you know, whoever comes out of this is going to come out stronger. Mm. And for us, it's also like buying the dip, right? Like this is the best time to get in. Yeah. Like this is the best time to invest because everyone who's stretched is going to hold back. Mm. So I think the most opportunity comes out in the dips. Yes. So yeah, I think I, I would look for pe- I would say people should be looking out for opportunity now. Okay. All right. Because uh, when you're riding high, then you know it's it's hard to. Uh, of course, of course, of course, of course. Like when you're the man, like everything you do is amazing. You yeah. touch gold. It's like I was speaking to a very famous stand-up comic a few months ago. And I said to him, like, what's it like when you get to that level? And he's like, oh, it doesn't matter if you're good or not. <laughs> People just laugh anyway, right? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, he's done terrible sets in front of huge audiences at the O2 Arena in London. Yeah. And he's like, but because everyone, A, paid 100 pounds to get in, and B, because they're, like, they're expecting it to be funny, even when you're not funny, they're funny, yeah. you know what I mean? And that's the problem with, like, when you're at your high. It's like, it's like you launch something new. Yeah. Because you're growing so fast, it's like... It, the adoption is so quick. Yeah. So you're like, I'm a genius. I can spot trends. Yeah. And then you launch another thing. But then when the downturn happens, you find out the truth. And the truth yeah. is that you're not a genius. You're just growing really quickly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, it's always tough to try know which is which. When and you're going and through I think that. the smart people are the, are the ones that are making those tough decisions mm-hmm. in the dip. And taking, you know, like we are use, using this time also as an opportunity to just realign our thinking on how we evaluate our business, mm. right? What metrics should we really be looking at? What's a vanity metric and what's a real performance yeah. metric? So, so kind of realigning a little bit because suddenly that's what investors are asking for. Mm. Yeah, the, that tune has changed in mm. six months. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were told last year that, oh, you're not growing fast enough. You know, uh. you do a billion dollars, but you, you know, we would have expected you to grow at four, five X. I'm like, where do you find $5 billion in yeah. volume in Africa easily. So, but now it's like, hey, can we talk again? Because <laughs> you're still continuing to grow. And I think just being again goes back to having more conviction in what you're doing. Yeah. And keeping the fundamentals clean. I think okay. that's, that's critical. All right. Uh, do you have any advice to young people or old people who are looking to start businesses or getting into businesses? Anything like that? I think... Something uh, wholesome for the children at home. <laughs> no, I think the biggest thing is people need to go go into entrepreneurship with their eyes open. Yeah. I think people think it's glamorous. People think it's... it's the absolute opposite it of that. It is exactly the opposite. Yeah. Right? So, and it's not to discourage, but it's to say, you know, and when I was thinking about starting Peach, my thinking was, oh, it's, you know, it's going to take at least five years to start any new business. So I gave myself five years. But that mentality from day one, that outlook actually helped us ride over the roughest years because I said, I said five years and I'm going to stick it out for five years. Mm. Beyond the five years, actually, it was all up. So it was great. 
Yeah. Then you don't need a reason to stick it out. <laughs> so, so I think the advisors really think about what you're doing and what mm -hmm. does it mean for you. Are you really ready for it? Are you willing to stick it out for five years? There will yeah. be ups and downs. And the second thing is, there's no brilliant idea. Like it's all about execution. Mm. So don't obsess over the idea. Actually, go do something and iterate. Yeah, From and just there. keep. Actually, trying. where your business ends up might not resemble anything to what your original plan was. I think if it does, it's extremely rare or yeah. just like bizarre. You know what I mean? Like uh, I remember there was that that silly blog post Elon Musk wrote about like the Tesla secret plan. Yeah. And then like he like other day he like was like, look, we said we we're gonna do this five years ago, we did it. And someone is like, no, you did a few parts of that, but this is what you actually are. You know what I mean? It's quite a different company altogether, and your objectives are very different yeah. for a lot of different reasons. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's something that we always need to take into consideration is that it's an evolving thing as yeah. opposed to like a static thing. Um, you've built a business for the last 10 years. Now you are building a human being for the last four years, which is more challenging. <laughs> uh, I think the human being, because that's, yeah. you can't get, uh, you, you can't sell that. There's no exit path. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And there's no holidays either. Uh, so yeah. no, I, I think it's a different phase of life. And I think, um, yeah, I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, last questions. Any books that you've read recently that affected you, but you did not enjoy? Did not enjoy? Yeah. Huh. So like, for instance, I grew up in a Christian household, so I, I've read the Bible, but I didn't like it, but it affected me, of course. Yeah. You know what I mean? No, I actually enjoyed the book also, but like, I read the hard thing about hard things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horowitz, and yeah. I think, just again, identifying with... Mm. What he's writing there, like, just <laughs> entrepreneurship is lonely sometimes. Extremely. So yeah. it, it helped. Um, I'm trying to think of if there was anything else. Um, that, that's the one that comes to mind right now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Any interesting arbitrage opportunities you know of? <laughs> in, in crypto? <laughs> no, 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 no. Just in life in general. Like I'm always interested in like strange arbitrage opportunities that you don't like immediately identify. Like, I'll give you an example of something. Yeah. My, my previous guest on my podcast told me a really crazy stat. Every single year in South Africa, like the National Student Financial Aid Service grants like, let's say 10, 10, like 200,000 students um, like funding for yeah. their education. But the university, and they say you've got funding. The university year starts in February, right? But they only actually disperse the funds in April. So what ends up happening is a lot of students get to universities, can't pay for their registration, yeah. and they can't pay for the accommodation up front. Yeah. And then they end up like fucking around and only starting the second semester. Yeah. And then as a consequence of not being able to get that cash early enough. So like the arbitrage opportunity there is just to give short-term loans to South African students with uh, financial aid backing. Because yeah. so you know you're gonna get your money back, right? Yeah. So you say, I'll charge a 5% premium on that. You know, if you give out a million rands of the loans, you'll have 50,000 rand back by the end of like April. Yeah. And that's a really quick 5% you can get. Yeah. As a consequence of government ineptitude, you yeah. know what I mean? And South Africa's government is very inept, so there's many opportunities <laughs> in that nature, you know. Exactly. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I think that comes to mind immediately. Okay. No, no, awesome. Um, yeah, listen, dude, thank you so much. And Thanks, look, man, it's been crazy because I remember we met nine years ago. Yeah. 
and I was trying to sell smartphones throughout Africa. And grilled cheese sandwiches. Yeah, listen, I was trying to sell everything and cheating my ass. And um, I remember you said something to me that made me so angry, and I'll never forget it. We were one time sitting, and we were talking about the smartphone company we were building. And you looked at me and you're like, you know, Roy, this has got nothing to do with technology. This is a brand play. Yeah. Because you can't actually build better smartphones. Because like, it's such a wildly competitive space. You need to just build a really strong brand. And I was like, oh, fuck you, Earl. You don't know anything. <laughs> I was like, very angry because I was so invested in the, the hardware and the technology. And we spent so much money and time and effort you know, trying, to build, trying to build this you know, unique African phone. Yeah. Which was, we were just completely under-resourced to do it. You know what yeah. I mean? And then, like, we fast forward two years, we meet again at one drop. <laughs> you know what I mean? And at this time, I stopped being angry with you. I started listening because <laughs> I learned my lesson. But above all else, dude, I'm just incredibly impressed and incredibly proud. Uh, I'm not your father, but I'm just proud of you because no, thank you. It, it, it took so much to get to this point. Yeah. And listen, I've been, I've seen the dark days in tech. I've seen the dark days. And... Ooh, they are hard. They are damn hard. You yeah. know what I mean? And like anyone who says like it doesn't, it's not, it can't be that hard. You are in for the shock of your life. <laughs> they have no it will, it will beat you and eat you and will give you nothing in return, you know, yeah. except pain and suffering. So for you to get to where you are, dude, congratulations. Seriously, oh, like I it's think we amazing. We have a lot to do ahead, but I think. Yeah, but still, congratulations, it's been dude. A journey. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I wish you nothing but more success for the future. And likewise. I hope the next business that I start or the next business I'm involved in, I come to you for advice because I should have done that ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> likewise. So no, awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Roy. Cheers, man. Awesome. That was spicy. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as usual, please don't forget to rate and subscribe to this podcast. Um, any and all feedback is greatly appreciated. If you want to give myself feedback, you can find me on most social media platforms under the handle Matei, which is M0TH3I. Um, alternatively, you can go to my website, Matei.com, M-O-T-H-E-I.com. Or, you know, smoke signals and carrier pigeons are always available at this juncture. So, thank you so much, folks. Don't forget to go to therapy. Don't forget to tell your parents that you love them. Have a great day. Thank you.